Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Those are verses 14 to 16 of Psalms 91, which along with Psalm 92 are the Psalms appointed for today, Friday, November the 11th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Joel. Today we're in chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 8. We are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, 1 to 9. That's one of the most difficult um, parables in all of the uh, Gospels, and then in um, James chapter 1, verses 16 to 27. So remember that the that, that, that um, Joel has been speaking of the, um, the coming of the day of the Lord, and, and there's two ways it can, co- it can go down, right? One is it can come in judgment, and it will for some folks, but the other is it can come in blessing, which it will for others. Uh, who are in him. And so he, he says now, it shall come to pass afterward, because he had just promised that he would bless the people of Israel. He would bless them um, by restoring everything that they had lost. It'll come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, where do we know that passage from? Well, we know it from Peter, who quotes it in uh, his sermon on the day of Pentecost and explaining what's happening on the day of Pentecost. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit. So it's not going to be limited. It's going to be this lavish outpouring of God's spirit. And, and whereas in the past, prophets would receive visitations from God. They would receive his Holy Spirit or kings and leaders in, in the military or whatever would receive God's spirit for wisdom for the task that was in hand. Or prophets would receive God's spirit in order that they might speak God's word to God's people. But he says, after these days, in the coming times, in the day of the Lord, then I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And we'll be able to learn all from one another. And we live in that time because we live in the day past Pentecost. And I show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And John tells us about that, seeing that in the book of the Revelation. He sees the fulfillment of this. The, the sun being darkened and the moon being turned to blood. And it'll come to pass that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And John tells us that in the book of the Revelation as well. He keep, continually says they wouldn't turn to him. They cursed God for the things that he was doing. They had no right to curse God for the things that he was doing because they had never blessed him for the good things that he had done. And so it, it's kind of, you know, pretty inconsistent and hypocritical to, to be angry at God and to curse God Whenever things don't go your way, but when they they go your way, then you don't bless him. Well, you don't have the right to curse him if you never blessed him. So here, that's exactly what he says. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice those who turn, those who turn back to him in the same way that Joel says, we, ha- we did this earlier. He says, so just that, that's what you have to do. You have to call on the name of the Lord and ask him for salvation in the same way that Jonah did. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And Jesus talks about that over and over again. You know, woe to you who who have children at that time. Woe to you in this situation and that situation. And then talks about leaving and fleeing Jerusalem and running and hiding in the hills. And certainly that does happen within the next hundred years after the death of Jesus. There's two different occasions at least 
when that very thing comes to pass. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, he's only speaking to the southern kingdom here, I'll gather all the nations and I'll bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. This could be the same thing as um, Armageddon. He said, I'll enter into judgment with them there. I'll gather the nations at the valley of Jehoshaphat and I'll enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel. Because they, the nations, have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. In other words, they have so devalued my people that they no longer are human. They're treating them as commodities. And then they've scattered them and dispersed them throughout all the nations as though they were not a people at all. And they've lost their unique identity. And I never said that was okay. He says, what are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia, these Phoenician cities? Who, who do you think you are? You don't mean anything to me. You're not, you're not my inheritance. He said, are you paying me back for something? Have I done something to you that you, you think that, that you should pay me back for what, something I've done to you? If you're paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you've taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You've plundered my people. You've plundered my temple. And the Babylonians did that, and the Assyrians did it as well. And this dispersion of the people is exactly what the Assyrians did in the northern kingdom. They dispersed them among the nations. The Babylonians didn't do that. They brought them into Babylon in order that they could turn them into good little Babylonians, that they could see the, the superiority of Babylonian culture, and that they would then give up their own ways once they saw the superiority of Babylonian culture, and, and then they would just be good little Babylonians. And then Cyrus, the Persian king, allowed them to go back, and he allowed them to keep their own culture in a way that the Assyrians never allowed any of that. And so those ten tribes are lost and assimilated among the nations. And God said, that's wrong. He says, you've sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I'll stir them up from the place to which you've sold them, and I'll return your payment on your own head. And Isaiah talks about that, too. They're coming from the north, and, the, and Hosea talks about it as well. That pe- God's people coming back to the land from all different points on the compass. He says, I'll sell your sons and daughters into the hand of people of Judah, and they'll sell them to the Sabaeans, a nation far away. For the Lord has spoken. In other words, what you've done to my people, I'm going to return that on you. We're going to do the same thing to you ultimately that you've done to my people because you didn't have permission to do that. And and that's consistently what God says to the nations that he allows to come and take his people into captivity as part of the punishment God's arrayed against them. But, But every single time they go too far. And God doesn't stay their hand either initially. There's recompense for having done it but God allows it. And then he brings a charge against the nations because you transgressed. You went beyond the mandate that I gave you. But he can't do anything until they've, after they've done that, he, or he doesn't do anything. He could, but, but he chooses not to because that way they have guilt. And so, you know, if you think we're going to get out of everything just completely unscathed and God's going to stop something before it gets too far, then you don't know anything about the history of the people of God. The Holocaust should tell you everything you need to know. That any Jews died at all in the Holocaust should tell you everything you need to know. But no, there has to be guilt. In the gospel, again, I said this is the, probably the most difficult parable to, to, um, 
to come through of anyone to interpret. I mean, in in anything in the New Testament, it's it's a very difficult parable, and because it, it's it's hard to see what's being commended. You know, I've been working on this parable for twenty five years, probably off and on, because it comes up so often in the lectionary. Um, but and, I, and I'm not sure that I have a hundred percent wrapped my head around this thing. He said to the disciples, "There was a rich man who had a manager." Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Now, we don't know who brings the charges or whatever, and what does it mean that he wastes his possessions? Um, it, it means that he's not getting the return he could be getting on them. And he called him, the, the owner, the rich man called the manager and said to him, what's this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be the manager. He's been fired. So everything is stopped. He's already fired. He doesn't have to show up to be fired. He's already fired. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he's made a decision based on exactly what he wants the outcome to be. Right. So that's the way you have to kind of think through this. I, I, I believe I'm getting closer. <laughs> but here. So what he's doing is he's making a decision about what he's going to do based on what he believes the outcome needs to be. He's going to do whatever's necessary to secure that outcome, that he might be received into the houses of the people who owe the the, uh, rich man money. So summoning the debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Change it. Bill of account. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, who's been um, crooked here in this thing? See, the deal is, is that he's already fired. He can't unilaterally make these changes because he's fired. He can't do this. So who does it? He gets the people to do it. So there's a dishonesty. He's making uh, bargains, dishonest bargains with dishonest people. They know how much they owe. And they just mark it down according to what he says. Hey, that's great. Tickle to death. People will do this. This is exactly the kind of thing people actually will do. They, he's made it now where he's ingratiated himself to these debtors. Now, I'm not going to get into the distinction between there's 100 measures of oil and now, now it's 50 and 100 measures of wheat and now it's 80. I don't know the economic value of those two things. I'm not pretending to know them, or they're the same. It's not even the point whether he's given the same discounts to everybody. And then the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Did he box him into a corner? You know, could he go back and, and change everything now and say these, these are all lies? He could, but he's not. He says he commended him for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And so what he's commending is, is that the man knew what his desired result would, was, which is to have a place to be because I'm fired and I have no place to go. And so he, he determined what the desired result was, and then he went out and did what was necessary to achieve that. That's what's being commended. You're wise in the ways of the world. And so how does that then compare to the, the, their board shrewd in dealing with their own generation than sons of light are? The sons of light don't seem to understand what it takes to get into heaven. 
Because he goes on to say, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, because all wealth is unrighteous. I mean, I can remember people talking about things in the past. I, I had conversations with people who, who were struggling over whether or not they should take money because ultimately this was blood money. Well, ultimately, all money is blood money. Every single bit of it. There's not something righteous about wealth. It doesn't matter how you got it, because all of it ultimately is corruption. Because we live in that kind of a world that I don't know where, I, there's no provenance on the money that I get. So he said, that's not righteousness. Wealth isn't a sign of righteousness, he says. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, and it will, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, he says, take care of your money and what you have as shrewdly as this guy did, but be shrewd about the kingdom of God. And so the way you use your money should show that your desire is to be welcomed into the eternal dwellings. So deal with it that way. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God for for Christians. Everything you have comes from God. And, And if you'll recognize that and recognize that you have a stewardship owed to him, then you'll deal with it in that way. And you'll deal with it shrewdly, like this worldly, shrewd manager did. So how do we use our wealth? How do we use what we've been given? It it matters. It matters, because it's all for stewardship, and we all owe it all to him. In the um, James passage today, he says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So you, you can trust him to be the same today, yesterday, and forever. But every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So who are we? We've got to know who we are, right? We're gonna, we, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We, we should be the, the first harvest that comes in, and that's exactly what that parable is saying, is, is that, that, that the world understands this shrewd and dishonest manager in a way that we need to be comprehensible to the world by being different. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Man, if I just obeyed that, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, my life would be better. So would the lives of other people around me. For the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. No, God is very slow to anger. Slow to anger. And he's merciful and forgiving and gracious and all those other things. And we need a God like that. Because if he were a God who were quick to anger, none of us would last even a second. He says, so be like God. He says, man's anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God any more than man's unrighteousness, like in the, in the parable, produces anything righteous either. What, what is the goal? What is the end of all those things? What's the, what, why do you want to do this? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That's the shrewdness Jesus is talking about. Be shrewd. Be shrewd. Know what the end is. And then make decisions about the way you live your life and you handle everything that you've been given in accordance with what you want the goal to be. Handle it exactly that way. 
put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we can convince ourselves that we're good Christians because, well, I can quote the Bible. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. Be the person in the mirror. <laughs> That's what he's saying is, is, he says, hold the word up in front of you and then mirror that. Be the person who doesn't just love the Word of God, doesn't just love the parables, doesn't just love the things Jesus does. No, go and do those things. Let the Bible become your guide and become like the person or persons described in the Bible. So don't just welcome that Word. No, go live it. Be the person, not just the reflection. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Wow, worthless religion. You think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue, but you deceive your heart. In other words, you convince yourself you're something that you're actually not. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world fits in perfectly with that parable. Jesus says, know how to live. Know how to conduct yourselves in this life in such a way that you will be welcomed into the eternal dwellings. Live that way. Don't live like that guy. He can be commended because he, he fit his actions to his desired result. Jesus says, you go be that person. What your desired result is will tend to guide what you do. You know, I've mentioned this before. Scott Peck wrote a thing about beginning with the end in mind. And what he said is, is that, that, you know, pretend that your life every day is something somebody would preach at your funeral. What would you want them to say about you? And I live your life that way. And that's exactly what James is saying. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Shrewdness comes in from knowing what will get you to your desired result. And in the case of the passage from Joel, it's trusting in the Lord, believing in him, having faith in him, and knowing him with all your heart. Let's be like that. Let's be shrewd. Let's say, this is what I want, and then guide and direct our lives in order that we would get there safely and to receive the reward we actually want to receive. <laughs>